Let's just ask the Lord to give us wisdom as we acknowledge that His Word is special. It's not just a book. It's God's breathed-out Word to us. So as we open God's Word, let's just ask Him to open our hearts to Lord, during a special time in our service, which is part of our worship, we come to sing you songs of praise, but Lord, then we come to give you hearts of praise by opening our hearts and hearing what you are saying to us through your breathed out word. Lord, take the words of a man and through your spirit, turn them into living words inside of us, we pray. Give us the insight and the wisdom we need to understand your word and therefore be able to apply it in our lives. We ask this for your sake, Jesus Christ. Amen. There are three um, scriptural passages or areas in Scripture which people go, hey, the one is Revelation, the one is Melchizedek, and the other one is the visions of Daniel. All right, so, those are, so we're in one of those today. So good luck. But you know, if you do your homework, it's not hard. If we go and do your homework, like with anything in Scripture, you find the answers. So hopefully we can see the answers to Melchizedek today. We mustn't make him more difficult than what he is. And so let's look at what God's word says. So I'd like you to, we're going to be opening scripture in the order that Melchizedek appears in scripture. So we're going to turn to Genesis chapter 14 first. Genesis chapter 14 verses 17 to 24. And I'd ask you to turn there in your scripture so you can see these words for yourself. Genesis 14 Verses 17 to 24. This is the first we hear of Melchizedek. He appears in history and then he disappears from history. That's it. And then twice more in scripture he's mentioned. Once in the Psalms and then in Hebrews again. So that's Melchizedek. But let's look where he first appears in Genesis chapter 14 verses 17 to 24. So it's speaking about Abraham now. After Abraham's return from the defeat of Chedor Laomer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shavi. That is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed Abraham and said, Blessed be Abraham by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. And the king of Sodom said to Abraham, Give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. But Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you say, I have made Abram rich. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. Let Anah, Eshkol, and Mamre take their share. Those were Abram's helpers who helped him to defeat um, that king who had captured Lot, if you go back in that scriptural history. 
Now, just a little bit on that passage we've just read. So if you look at that passage, um, Abraham comes back. He'd rescued Lot from this, uh, this king called Chedorlaomer. We'll speak about it a little later. And two kings come out to meet him. The one is the king of Sodom. And if you look at what happens in Sodom's history, Sodom was a place which God judged heavily. And so this wasn't a good king who came out. And then we have Melchizedek who also comes out to meet Abraham. And he's a very different story. And we're going to be looking a bit at him. So a little bit of background on what we've just read there. You'll note that Melchizedek blesses Abraham and Abraham gives willingly to him. Whereas the king of Sodom demands a gift. That's just showing who he really was. Uh, and that's all I'm going to say. There's so much more we could and I'm not going there at this stage. And then let's turn to the other passage where Melchizedek's mentioned. That's Psalm 110 verse 4. David wrote the psalm a thousand years later. So think of this now in terms of the change you've seen happening over the last 10 years. A thousand years after Melchizedek's on the earth, one little verse is written by David and it mentions Melchizedek. Psalm 110, verse 4. Let me just find it. This is what David writes. And it's a messianic psalm. It's speaking about one who would come, the promised one. Interestingly. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And if you look in a Bible that's written properly, the capital U is used there. A capital Y is used for you, all right? You are, and it's speaking about the Messiah, but it links him to Melchizedek. All right, puzzle will start now. Now we go to Hebrews chapter 7, and that's our passage for this morning as part of our studies through the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 1 to 10. We're going to read from chapter 6, verse 17, just for the context. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now take note of that verse. It's a key. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him Abraham apportioned a tenth of everything. He is first by translation of his name, King of Righteousness, and then he is also King of Salem, that is, King of Peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. Now here's another key, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. See how great this man was to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, 
though these also are descended from Abraham. But this man who does not have his descent from them receives tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. Take note of that verse. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham. Think of that sentence. Levi came many years after Abraham. For he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. And that's all we're going to read this morning. Now, I'm going to concentrate on the first part of that text around the man Melchizedek. Because the second part of that we'll cover again next week when we look at the priests and how they functioned. Now, when Christians name their babies, um, you get a lot of good names coming out of that and a lot of biblical names. Joshua. Benjamin, Hannah, David, John, yeah, Peter too, and other fine biblical names. But you don't often meet a Melchizedek, except in Mel Gibson's case. And then add to that, according to Hebrews, this Mel was someone without father or mother or genealogy or having neither beginning or days nor end of life. So was he created out of nothing? Did he simply disappear like Enoch who walked with God and then he was not for God took him? Is that what Mel, who Mel was? Well, this may be fascinating and you might ask yourself, so uh, what's the point? Why do I have to study stuff like this? Aren't there better ways to spend our times in Scripture on a Sunday morning? However, as we work through Bible books, you see, we come across texts like this, and we must let the Bible determine our Christian diet, rather than our own felt needs, because all too often our felt needs aren't what we really need. It's the same with what we eat. My felt need might be for chocolate, but my wife keeps reminding me it's not what I really need. So what's our real need? We're going to come to that. There are a few things in the introduction we need to first get into our minds, and I really need you to track with me here today. The theme of Hebrews is what we first need to look at. The wide-angle lens on this passage today. And the theme of Hebrews and this whole discussion about Melchizedek in Hebrews appears in this larger context as part of the argument that Jesus is better than. Jesus is better than various people, various institutions of the whole of the Jewish religious system or the Israelite theocracy. Theocracy, theoc, God, the system of worshipping God. And this theme of Jesus is better appears 12 times in the book, so it's important. So Jesus is better than the prophets. We saw that in chapter 1. Jesus is better than the angels. We saw that in chapter 1, verse 4 to 14. Jesus is better than Moses, the patriarch. Now, to a Jew hearing that, they take note. We saw that in chapter 3. And this morning we come to Jesus is better than the Levitical priesthood. And that stretches from chapter 4 
to chapter 7 where we are now. And then we'll still come to the covenant Jesus made is better than the old covenant. Chapter 8. And later, Jesus' sacrifice is better than the Old Testament sacrifices. Chapter 9. So that's the theme of Hebrews. All right? Wide angle. Now we put, take, on that, take off that lens and put on the zoom lens. We're going to zoom in on one specific area this morning. Chapter 7. What are some of the reasons Jesus is better than the Levitical priests in the, in the priesthood? And the first one we're going to look at is Jesus is better because Melchizedek pointed to him. And then next, next time we get around this passage, we'll see how Jesus is better than the whole of the priesthood. Why he is a better option. Remember who is this written for? The clues in the name of the book. The Hebrews. It was written to Jewish Christians to convince them once again, because they were starting to wonder from the faith, to convince them once again, Jesus is the one you should be worshipping, not your system. So, let's go and look at Melchizedek. Who is Mel? I'm just going to call him that to save time. Melchizedek is mentioned three times in Scripture. I've already mentioned that. Genesis, in Psalms, and a thousand years later, after the Psalms, Hebrews was written. A thousand years. So who's the author of Scripture? Men? No. That fact alone shows that the Holy Spirit was bringing cohesiveness, right? A thousand years? A thousand years. Well, our first encounter with Melchizedek is after Abraham had rescued rescued Lot. And you see, by Abraham rescuing Lot, he was becoming a regional force. With all his men together, he was starting to form a bit of an army, a family army. He was a regional force. And so when he, goes, he comes back from defeating this big cheese, Cheddar Laomer, get it? Okay, some of you are slower. He goes out and he, meets, he beats this king who had gathered other Mesopotamian kings around him. And among the people that they'd captured, and that's what they did those days, they captured people and possessions and took the people away as slaves, the women as wives for their armies. He had gone and conquered and got back his cousin Lot, his nephew, sorry, Lot. And so he'd rescued him. And as Abram comes back with Lot and this mass of people and possessions with him, two kings come out to meet him. The king of Sodom, who is not a good guy as we've seen. And the king of Sodom, it's not stated here, but it's probably implied that he was coming out to meet Abram to form an alliance. Hey, I'm friends with you if you're friends with me, right? Because I can see you can do the, the army thing. But the other one who comes out with him is Melchizedek. And that's the one we're going to zero in on this time. Melchizedek, who is king of a town called Salem. So the king of Sodom comes out and he comes with demands. Melchizedek comes to Abraham and he comes with a blessing. Quite a different approach. And we already see here God's intervention. God is already starting to bless Abraham before Abraham's even asked it. God's already starting to bless the nation of Israel who aren't even in existence yet. It's called His grace at work. 
He provides their need before they've got a need. And so let's look at Melchizedek. His name means king of righteousness. Names meant things those days. My name means bald. Don't, don't believe it. I don't know why, but it's called, that's what it means. Melchizedek's name means king of righteousness. Think of the significance of that name. Who was Melchizedek? He was king of Salem. The name Salem, the term Salem means shalom, peace. And later this very, little, this very same little town called Salem would become Jerusalem. Think of that. God's provision. Do you see the name there? Jerusalem. So he's the king of Salem way back before Israel existed. Amazing stuff this, man. But that's not all. He's not, Melchizedek's not just king of Salem. He's also got a dual function. He's also priest of God most high. That's his title. So you need to understand this. Mel was not an Israelite. Why was he not an Israelite? Because Israel didn't exist. They were still in the loins of Abraham. You know what I'm saying? They did not exist yet. The, the, Levit the Levitical priesthood was not yet established. But already God had provided Melchizedek as his priest at that time, in that region, his grace at work. Speak to JB if you want to know about common grace. He's been studying the subject. You see, God had already appointed Melchizedek as his priest. He was to be a forerunner of a special priesthood. And this special priesthood would consist of two people, Melchizedek and later Jesus Christ. It's the order of Melchizedek, a priesthood. And they have very special characteristics. But I'll come back to that. You see, later in Israel, both king and priest needed to be from the, the lines of Aaron and Levi. If you wanted to be a priest or a king, you had to come from the line of Aaron or Levi. If you, want, if you weren't from the line of both Aaron and Levi, you couldn't actually be a priest. You could only help in the temple. And so later we see that Jesus, who wasn't a descendant in the line of Aaron, nor was he even of the tribe of Levi, became a high priest. How does that work? It's because of this order of Melchizedek. It's a special priesthood that God established. You see, there was another pattern that was already being pointed out here in the Old Testament. And that is this order of Melchizedek that we're going to learn more about. Back to Melchizedek. We're back to him and Abraham. He comes and he blesses. Abraham. You see, God was already revealing himself early in the peace to Abraham. He had only revealed so much of himself to Abraham. If you go glance back in Genesis, it's not long that Abraham had known God. In actual fact, when Salem happens, this whole thing with Salem, he's still called Abraham. A-B-R-A-M. It's not yet Abraham. But already God was revealing himself more to Abraham. And here comes Melchizedek, and he brings this blessing on Abraham, and he reveals a new name for God to Abraham. Say to him, 
He says to him that God Most High has come to bless you. God Most High. The Hebrew El Elyon. God Most High. What does that mean? The possessor of heaven and earth. So why is that a blessing to Abraham? What's, what's the blessing in this name? You see, this name makes it clear to Abraham that the God who created the world protects his children and therefore will protect Abraham too. How come? You see, Abraham had just w- witnessed this big cheese guy conquering his known world around there, and he thought he was the possessor of heaven and earth. But Abraham had conquered him. And how did he do that? With God's help. And God reveals that to him. He says, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, Abraham, blesses you. I will look after you. I am the true possessor of heaven and earth. I will be with you and your seed. Remember, Abraham didn't have a child yet. So that must have been amazing for Abraham. And so out of gratefulness to these words and what Melchizedek has said to him, Abraham now pays homage to Melchizedek. Look at your text. And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. Now, Abraham didn't have the manual for church. He didn't go look up, you're supposed to give a tenth, a tithe. He didn't know. He gave a tenth of everything he had. We call it a tithe. He gave a tenth of everything he had possessed from all his armies. He gave that as a free will offering to Melchizedek. But it was to God, out of gratefulness for who God had revealed himself to be, I am God Most High. It's amazing. Do you see all these basic building blocks being put in place early on already? And so Abraham recognized through this voluntary act of giving these gifts to Melchizedek that Melchizedek was a deserving and a faithful priest of God Most High. And so Abraham revealed his own heart in giving these gifts. He had a thankful heart. And he also revealed a second thing which to Jewish hearers would be really important. Abraham regarded Melchizedek as the superior to himself. By giving him gifts voluntarily, he was bowing the knee to. He was saying, you are superior, Melchizedek. I am the inferior. Now that's important to a Jewish mind. We'll come to the reason why. Let's move on a little bit here. Let's get on to what you're really waiting for. So, Melchizedek, was he parentless? I know you're all dying to hear this one. He didn't have a mum or dad. That's what scripture says, isn't it? So, according to Hebrews, Mel was someone without father, mother, or genealogy, having neither beginning or days nor end of life, So does this mean that Melchizedek actually had no parents, no birth, and no death? Now, I'm not going to perform gymnastics here. So please just listen. It's not hard. We need to know more than what is just here. We need to come at this passage with the mind of a Jewish hearer and a Jewish teacher. We need to come at this passage with the whole way of interpreting text from a rabbinical approach. How would a rabbi teach this passage? We come at it with Western eyes and ears. While the rabbinical approach to this was different, 
And you need to ha have this argument, which is called the argument from silence. You need to know what that is. So by not stating something in a text, it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It just means that it's not stated for a very specific purpose to emphasize something else. All right, now it sounds convoluted. It's not. By not mentioning it, it's done deliberately to emphasize something else. All right, we'll get to that. Watch, this is how it works. So by not mentioning Melchizedek's ancestry or his death, the point he's making is this priesthood which Melchizedek represented was a priesthood without beginning of days or end of life. And therefore we don't mention lineage or parents. It's not all, it's only half the story. So you need to understand argument from silence. So Melchizedek's ancestry is deliberately not mentioned to make the point that God appointed Melchizedek as a king priest of that area. Era. He didn't need lineage. He didn't need parent, parentage. He appointed Melchizedek. Got that? I deliberately leave out lineage to emphasize that point. Now, if you look at Genesis, the book of Genesis is all about lineages. But this specific lineage is deliberately left out to push the fact that God made the appointment. So that's the argument from silence. There's a second part to how to interpret this. And that's this whole word, Abraham, Melchizedek was a type of Christ. T-Y-P-E. Now, when we hear the word type, you hear there are types of vehicles riding around. There's a Mercedes, there's a BMW. They are types of vehicles. But that's not what the word type means in this regard. The word type means to be a representative of pointing forward. I'll give you an example. In the Old Testament, we have the example of the bronze serpent. When Israel was in the desert, they all got sick. And they were busy dying because they were disobedient to God. So God said to Moses, I want you to make this bronze snake and put it up on a stick and put it up there for the people and say to the people, whoever looks at the bronze snake and acknowledges that God is God will be healed. The snake on the stick became a type of Christ later. Christ too was raised up. God said, if you would look to him, you will be healed, right? He, the snake became a type of Christ. It pointed forward to you. You get that? There's a second example. A lamb in the Old Testament. Every time they took a little lamb and slit its throat, and it was put on the sacrifice, it became a type of something which would come later. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who would be slain for the sins of the world. So the little lamb became a type of Christ. A pointing forward to. You get type? So Melchizedek was a type of Christ. As a priest, Melchizedek was there in the Old Testament. Atoning for the sins of the people, he was a type of the one who would come, Jesus Christ, who would die for the sins of the people and who would also be priest for them. See the link? Melchizedek was a type of Christ. So you've got to know he was without lineage for a purpose. Why? So that it would be emphasized that God appointed him. And then he was a type of Christ in that same lineage, 
that same priesthood, rather. Before I can fuddle it anymore, let's carry on. So we see that Melchizedek was made, now look at the second part of that phrase, Melchizedek was made like the Son of God. Notice he wasn't the Son of God. He wasn't a theophany as some think. Christ who suddenly made the surprise appearance in the Old Testament. No, he was a type of Christ. He was pointing to one who would come. And who was the one who would come? The full title of that one was used. He would be the Son of God. Melchizedek says our text was made like the Son of God. Why is that important? It's important because the Son of God was the one who the focus was to be on. Melchizedek was made like the Son of God, not the Son of God like Melchizedek. Melchizedek was made like the Son of God. Who's the inferior? Who's the superior? Melchizedek is the inferior. The Son is the superior. And in the Jewish mindset, that was very important. Jesus must always come out as the superior. And so Melchizedek's history in Scripture, in Genesis, and here in Hebrews, was written in such a way that Jesus was being pointed to. Someone who was greater is being pointed to. The superior is being highlighted. Melchizedek was being made the inferior, even though he was superior to Abraham. Did you stay with me there? Now, in a Jewish mindset, Abraham was one of the patriarchs. He was one of the big guys with Moses. But this one who came, Melchizedek, was greater than Abraham. But there was one who was even greater than Moses or than Abraham or than Melchizedek. It was going to be the Messiah. He is the greatest. And there we are in Hebrews. Next week we'll see, or next time we get around this passage, we'll see how Christ is the one to be worshipped by these Hebrew believers. He is not just the one who brings men to God as a priest, but Jesus would be the one who would bring God to men. There's the added bit to the argument, and we're not going to go there now. All right, so that's Melchizedek. What do we do with that? I want to give you three bits of application for us for this morning. Firstly, Jesus didn't come as a social worker. Jesus didn't come as a doctor, an engineer, a philosopher, or even a sportsman. Jesus came as a priest and king. Melchizedek was pointing to that. What does this say about the real need of humanity? If you look at the world around us, what does humanity pour their time into? Everything else but their souls. Even sport. Kiwis. What is our real need? What is the real need of humanity? Our real need is at a spiritual level. Our souls are lost and in sin and bound for unending destruction without the intervention of God Almighty who possesses the heavens and the earth. And in this Jesus, in this Yeshua Hamashiach, the one who was the appointed and anointed one, we have all that we need for this world 
and the world to come. He is the unique and the living priest. He is the one who is able to save us, to keep us, to intercede for us. He is the eternal king to whom we willingly bow and pledge our allegiance of faith. Melchizedek died. It's not recorded for us to push who Christ was. But he died. Secondly, you and I are direct, directly blessed through the blessing by Melchizedek on Abraham. Hey? Melchizedek blessed Abraham and we benefit? How? Scripture says so. Where do I see that? Anyone? I did the homework. Galatians chapter 3 verse 7 to 9. Please turn there. Galatians chapter 3 verse 7 to 9. This is what it says. If you're a believer here, listen how you join to our friend Abraham. And Melchizedek. Galatians chapter 3 verse 7 to 9. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham? There you go. Are you a, a person of faith? Have you bowed the knee to Jesus Christ? Then you're a son of Abraham. Ladies, you're included. You're a son of Abraham. Now it carries on. And the scripture, foreseeing, I love that word, and scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. Now look at the last verse. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. You see, I told you. You and I, if you're of faith, were in the loins of Abraham thousands of years ago. God knew our names were written up in his book of life and his blessing came on us at that stage. And then he made it happen. You're part of a bigger picture. We need to take encouragement from that. Yes, God is working with Abraham through Melchizedek, but he was working for you and I too today. And that's the message that the writer of the Hebrews wants to push through to these Hebrew Christians who are wavering in their faith. God was already preparing blessing for you in Abraham, people of today. We are blessed through Abraham. And so those blessings on Abraham and the promises God made to Abraham apply to us too. Now, it doesn't mean you're going to have a son called Isaac. Not at that level. But as Melchizedek pointed out to Abraham, El Elyon Possessor of the heavens and the earth protects his children. As God protected Abraham, he will protect you too, if you're his child. We need to grab hold of that. God will protect me. It doesn't matter what comes my way. El Elyon will protect. And then lastly, Melchizedek pointed you and I to Jesus Christ. You see, in, in one sense, Melchizedek was a bit like the 
He was the Old Testament John the Baptist. You see, like John the Baptist in the New Testament who prepared the way for Jesus and who said of Jesus, someone is coming soon who is greater than I am. So much greater than that I'm not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. I think if Melchizedek could have thought of those words, he would probably have said them too. He's coming. He didn't know. Abraham didn't know. But Hebrews in the New Testament puts that spotlight and gives us the perspective on what happened in the Old Testament. It enlightens us. It fills in the colors for us so that we can get the full picture of what was happening back there. Hebrews says, This one who Melchizedek named and pointed to was the coming Christ. Even Melchizedek's name, his life, and his position pointed to this one who would come. Melchizedek's name, he is the king of righteousness, pointing to the king of righteousness. King of the city of Salem, he is peace. Christ is actual peace. He's not just like peace. He is peace. He is righteousness. He is our Lord. He is the greatest army. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for characters in your word like Melchizedek. And when we start digging down, Lord, we see that he was a humble man. A man who knew who you were, Almighty God. A man who recognized that in blessing Abraham, he was putting a blessing of God on Abraham. And even though Melchizedek didn't have the insight, that blessing would run right through the ages, reaching right into 2021, into a church building at 54 Nixon Street. And those who are believers have that blessing of Abraham on them too. Because we are children of Abraham. Thank you that you are El Elyon to us. That you are possessor of the nations and of the world. That you will look after us. And like Abraham, you will care for us. As long as we acknowledge who you are. Thank you for the story of grace at work from the Old Testament right through into the New Testament. And that story of grace will continue, Lord Jesus, through 2021 into next year and until you reappear. And then that story of grace will carry on into eternity with us, with Christ. We praise you, our great God, the provider. Lord, help us now in this week to live lives which aren't defeated lives, lives which acknowledge that you have us in the palm of your hands and you know what we go through. You will be there for us. You will sustain us. You will use us for your kingdom because you are building your kingdom and you are showing grace at work in our lives so that the world around us can see Jesus Christ and his grace available to them as well. Use us in this large story of your kingdom, we pray. Use every single one here. Amen.